1: Welcome, welcome to the Hokie Hangover Podcast. I am your esteemed host, Andrew Alex of ESPN Blacksburg. Esteemed, I guess that probably dilutes the value of that word there. But luckily, I am joined by much smarter people than myself. All the way in the 757, we have the one, the only, Ricky LeBlue. Ricky, what's poppin', bro?
0: I wouldn't necessarily classify myself as smarter than you, Um I think I I'm, I just bloviate a lot more. Eh,
1: you know, I'll take what I can get as a compliment. On the other <laughs>
2: side, of the state,
1: Northern Virginia's own Mike McDaniel now, SonsOfSaturday.com. Mike, what's popping, bro?
2: As as we hit record, the sun came out, and, boys, it's officially golden hour here in the
1: 7 gold hour about that it's pouring rain in Blacksburg just absolute monsoon times are tough around here just kidding times are never tough in Blacksburg it's a good place to be so I feel boys I feel like the saga that has been this offseason in college football between Justin Fuente between the Demetrius Davis decommitment And now the roller coaster that is the cancellation, the uncancellation, the uncertainty surrounding college football has probably taken years off of all of our lives. We'll flash back a few weeks, a few episodes of Hokie Hangover ago when the Big Ten and Pac-12 said, let's cancel the season. It was a very nerve wracking time in our sport, but the ACC... With the help of Notre Dame, with the alliance of the Big 12, and, of course, the SEC, where football is king, stayed the course, and the season is scheduled to be played. Every day we get closer is more and more encouraging. People in the media, people online who, you know, you can't put too much stock into what they say. People in... Positions of power all around the country lambasted the ACC, SEC, and Big 12, saying it was a waste of time, it'll never happen, this, that, and the other. Today, right now, it looks like rumors are coming out that the Pac-12 and more prominently, the Big 10, are scrambling to figure out a way to play this season. Mike, I'll, I'll start with you on this one. What happened? What what changed?
2: Well, unfortunately for the Pac-12 and the Big Ten, uh, the other conferences called their bluff. Um <laughs> Especially in the Big Ten's case, like like the Pac-12 never really looked like they were moving towards playing a football season. It always kind of looked grim from the start. But in the Big Ten's case especially, you know, they had released a schedule and then less than a week later decided that they were going to call the whole thing off. And the Big Ten presidents, like we've talked about over and over again on this podcast, should be totally ashamed of themselves for doing that. And I'm all for player safety and player health, but there was nothing that really pointed to the fact that the Big Ten needed to do that, especially after just releasing a schedule. There was really no new evidence. There was no new scientific data. Everybody's talking about myocarditis, which is the inflammation of the heart, but it it wasn't new information about myocarditis and the link to COVID, right? The fact that some individuals who are Uh, Susceptible to COVID 19 might have this swelling of the heart that takes place really across a course of several types of illnesses, not just COVID, but also pneumonia and the flu and other sorts of viruses. So, this wasn't something that was new information, but it's something that the Big Ten decided they were going to base their data off of when they were making the decision to cancel the season. And now, all of a sudden, you have this report today that came out incorrectly, by the way, within the last 30 minutes, incorrectly, that a Penn State doctor said that there was preliminary data that 30 to 35% of athletes across the Big Ten who tested positive for COVID-19 actually had myocarditis. He actually backtracked on that, refuted it, and said that he was discussing preliminary data um, that actually didn't even involve Big Ten athletes. It was He was actually talking about high school athletes, but um, that, that number that was thrown around was actually incorrect. So he backtracked on that quite quickly. The, the one thing I will say about all this is that everything is very politically driven. And if you don't believe that, you're living under a rock. Um, the president of the United States, whether you like him or you don't like him, there's a reason why he reached out to the Big Ten commissioner this week and not the Pac-12 commissioner. There are several swing states in the upcoming presidential election in the Midwest. Um, and Joe Biden, by the way, on the campaign trail. I'm not trying to make this all political, but I think this all ties in. Joe Biden He's- on the campaign trail. Yeah, Joe Biden on the campaign trail is blaming Trump for the fact that there's no football this fall in the Midwest. So Trump comes out, he talks to Kevin Warren, and he's trying to swing that back in the other direction, saying, hey, how can we make this happen? They didn't go out west to the Pac-12 where there's a bunch of Democratic states that Trump has no chance of winning, right? So there's always been a political element of all this, and that's been far before this week when these discussions were had on on the campaign trail. Um, There have been reporters that have kind of spun it to fit their political agenda who have whether they like it or not have rooted against or for football happening um, depending on who you follow and who you look for for your stuff and there have been very few individuals i've found as far as like national college football reporters who have been pretty objective throughout the entire thing who have said hey look these are the facts this is what's presented and this is kind of what conferences are electing to do and that's why the big 10 deciding to cancel was something that was so head scratching because not a lot of people were able to really find a reason at least a concrete reason why they were doing that like there was no like new evidence new data new information like wh- when it happened and when kevin warren announced that you know the big 10 presidents had voted against football this fall it was a surprise because it was kind of out of nowhere the schedule had just been released there was no in- new information about the virus like it felt like they had just decided they were going to pivot at the last second and that's still kind of how it seems whether they want to talk about myocarditis or not like that was not new information as something that's been available to everybody um and and we learned about that early this summer as as doctors kind of found out more and more about the virus so i think really the fact that the Big Ten and Pac 12 are now trying to pivot at the 11th hour. I mean, look, it's September 3rd as we sit here and record this. There's a football game on tonight. There's football on the next couple of weekends. Like, we're starting the new college football season. And the Big Ten and Pac 12, now as we get a little bit closer to it, they're wondering why they can't play football now. And this is, look, they got nothing to, nobody to blame but themselves at this point. And I don't know kind of what the future holds, but this whole thing about talking about spring season, this, that, and the other thing, I mean, it's ridiculous because most other conferences are playing football this fall. And if the big 10 and pac 12 want to have their own stage, like late in the fall into early spring, like be our guests, but nobody's going to really pay attention to that outside of the individuals within the respective schools. I think everybody else is going to think that it's kind of just extra football and they'll kind of take it as such, but nobody's going to, hold it with any sort of national relevance. I mean, people are gonna watch it because it's college football and everybody loves it, but it's just one of those things I think they butcher from the start and I think it's unfortunate in a lot of ways.
1: Yeah, and you talk about the political element of it and this expands beyond even just the realm of college football. You look at the state of Michigan. Just two weeks ago, Governor Gretchen Whitmer over there said, I'm happy, or I think she technically said, I'm glad that we're not playing high school football or Big Ten football this fall. Fast forward two weeks to literally today, as we record on September 3rd, she has reversed course. Apparently, the voters in Michigan don't take too kindly to taking away their football, and they can look at the data, look at the people who are at risk, and assess that if done in the right way, this can work, and when you look at the big 10 presidents who, and this is why I think it's so interesting. Cause again, I'm not taking any political side here. I am a guy who was a political science major. And since that period of time that I was in school have been completely disenchanted by the nature of politics today to the point where I barely even want to pay attention. Unfortunately, doing what we do and having to be on Twitter, it's impossible to avoid. But my question is, Trump did what he did to try to force the hands of the Big Ten. Will the Big Ten presidents, who those in academia are generally gonna be against Trump, will they take the optics of caving to him? Or will they basically kind of start walking backwards with their tail between their legs and say we should do this? But at the end of the day, What's happened is they having, because they canceled so early, the earliest possible time they could get something going, even if they had full cooperation from everyone, would be like, what, mid-October, late October, early November? The Big Ten, who some would argue outside of the SEC is almost certainly the nation's premier college football conference. I think overall they are the nation's premier sports conference when you look at it between football basketball everything else they generally have success and they're not going to have the opportunity to compete for a national championship this season because they called it too early and we said at the time that we didn't know whether the season was going to be possible because anything could happen, especially with students coming back. And we've seen here at Virginia Tech, we've seen at schools all across the nation, when you bring back 20, 30, 40,000 students who have spent the summer all over the country and you put them in close quarters, there's going to be a spike in cases. And that's something that we have to keep in mind. And that's something we have to be aware of. But at the end of the day, giving up is a suicide mission you have to to try and the big tens regretting that Ricky, you were probably the most critical of the big 10 at the outset when this cancellation was made fast forward a few weeks, maybe almost a month. What, what are your thoughts now? Are you, are you claiming victory here?
0: All I'm going to say is that when you play stupid games, you win stupid prizes. Um, when you, When you refuse to take data into account and you make your decisions based upon the narrative that's being driven uh, in the media um, and and you rush to decisions, you're generally going to make incorrect decisions. Um, I've said from the start that they need to make every single effort to play football this year, and we've already seen the consequences of not doing that. Iowa has already cut several sports from their catalog. I found out today, Wayne Me Mary is cutting seven sports from their, um, from their department. There is going to be more to come. Uh, the NCAA has announced that they are doing extended furloughs for hundreds of employees. If you think this is the end, then you're just flat out wrong. Um, th- these are the consequences of not playing football folks. So I, I, for all of those that have fought tooth and nail against the football season, I hope you're happy with it. I hope you're happy that Kevin Warren looks like perhaps the most incompetent um, commissioner in, in all of college athletics. Uh, I'm happy that you've got all of these, these Pac-12 fans that are now clamoring for football now that they've announced a brand new testing agreement with a corporation that's going to provide all sorts of, of rapid testing to Pac-12 programs, um, and now the Pac-12 looks stupid. These are these, This is what happens when you refuse to make an honest decision and you let people in the media and you let people on Twitter drive your decision-making. This is exactly what happens. The ACC, the SEC, the Big 12, the American, the Sun Belt, they all took a bunch of flack in the media for, for wanting to play. They were called the Stubborn Six by Sports Illustrated's Pat Forty and, and Ross Dellinger. They were absolutely ripped up and down as not caring about public safety. We've, we've seen countless people on Twitter rip people like me and saying that we don't care about these athletes and that w- w- we don't care that they're putting their lives on the line. And it just couldn't be further from the truth. It, it's a straw man argument. It's ad hominem. It's it's all it's all bullshit, and now that we're seeing that the ACC, the SEC, and the Big Twelve and all these other conferences seem to have this under control, and that they're going to get the season off relatively well, uh, even though there is there was a delay in Virginia Tech's and NC State's game, even though we can talk about that too, because it seems like that was premature. Um, their willingness to to see this through. Is going to pay off. Whereas the Big Ten's um, refusal to even try and refusal to take a chance as being seen as uncaring, they're paying the price for it now. There is total disunity inside the Big Ten. You've got coaches that are absolutely livid with their administrations. You have fan bases that are livid with their administrations. And you know what? They should be. They have every right to be. So, for, for all of those presidents and all those people in in, in, in Big Ten country and Pac-12 country and all those national reporters that are so tired of, of, of dealing with the back and forth with the rumors of the Big Ten possibly trying to, to play football, I hope you're happy. I hope you like what you got because uh, you, you you deserve it good and hard.
1: Yeah, and, and one, a couple of things that bother me here. One is – The obvious hypocrisy that we saw from the big 10 presidents at the outset to go out and say yes we're gonna outright cancel college football and all sports because of this myocarditis fear that had no founding to it but then of course A week later, two weeks later, welcome 44,000 students back to the campus of the University of Indiana, of Penn State, I mean, Ohio State's one of the good guys, but Michigan, Michigan State, all these big 10 schools are massive. They're some of the biggest public institutions in the country and to say, oh, we can do this, but we can't play football, that just makes no sense. That seems like you're pandering to a a media criticism or, or something like that, that you're uncaring, when in reality, what's the difference? The difference is that college football can be controlled, players can be tested regularly, they can be kept in some kind of bubble, they have coaches that create a form of accountability that, quite frankly, the student population doesn't have. And as much as the administration can create rules and make big threats to the regular student population, it's nearly impossible to enforce universally. So the hypocrisy there bothers me. On the other side, you look at people on Twitter and I'll just say right now, the Hokie Hangover podcast is brought to you by Main Street Pharmacy, Main Street Pharmacy, the official pharmacy of the Hokie Hangover podcast and the best pharmacy in the New River Valley. But Jeremy Counts of Main Street Pharmacy, one of the great leaders in our community, has been busting his tail since March to try to get the information out to the people and talk about how – You know, you need to wear a mask. Social distancing is important. He has been completely fact-driven. I know this man. He spends, you know, almost every morning reading up on the newest studies, getting as informed as possible so that he can be as responsible in providing information to his patients and to random people in the community as he can. You have trolls on Twitter who are saying that Jeremy is biased in his refuting of the myocarditis argument when, in fact, these people, and the, the, the myocarditis argument has no backing to it. The NFL, all these tests, no myocarditis. Clemson, all these tests, no myocarditis. We've, we, as in the humanity, have been doing almost everything we can to study this virus since its outset. And if there was really 30% of young people, asymptomatic or symptomatic, that were getting myocarditis from the coronavirus, the world would be much more locked down than it is right now, folks. I can promise you that. How could you convince someone to go to the grocery store and work for $8 an hour if there's a 33% chance that they catch myocarditis? How can you how, why would any college student go to class if there was a 33% chance that if they got COVID, they're going to end up with something that could give them a heart attack, possibly? They they yes. They, they wouldn't. Yes, they wouldn't. And we'd go into like it would be Post apocalyptic, almost the entire society would essentially collapse in that case, almost it would be wild. It would be like if COVID actually had a 10% death rate like they originally thought. We know more now we can work with the information that we have. And Jeremy taking the most scientific approach is going out saying this. And you have people on Twitter telling him that he should get his pharmacy license taken away because he's biased. That's a joke, and people need to get out of their corner. And and by the way, if you're someone out there who, who's a mask denier, I understand. I don't like wearing a mask. I don't enjoy wearing a mask. Wearing a mask freaking sucks. It's hard to breathe. It gets sweaty. You got bad breath sometimes. But I wear it because I understand the science behind how it can help prevent the spread of the virus. But
0: here's the thing. Here's the thing when it comes to all of this. You have to let go of your political priors. Exactly. All. All all three of us are extremely political in nature. We, we've talked about this privately. We all hold strong opinions. We don't agree on everything, but we respect the hell out of each other. When I saw the myocarditis data out of Penn State earlier this morning, I believed it. I took it 100% as fact, and I and I retweeted it because I figured it was something that my followers needed to know. And even though it went entirely against my argument, I accepted that data, and I thought about it all day long. And guess what? It's BS. But the point is, is that you have to be willing to accept data that goes against your argument. So if you're someone who is full throated support of football, you have to be willing to accept data that goes against that and vice versa. If you're someone who thinks football has no business being played this year, then you have to be willing to accept the data that says otherwise. And until we get to that point, then we're really just digging in our heels and spinning our wheels. We're doing absolutely nothing productive. Um, And really the the last several months, that's basically what it's been specifically in the college football landscape.
1: Yeah, exactly. And to your point, Ricky, if this myocarditis data was – completely true. If it was well-founded, if it was scientifically backed, the nature of this podcast right now would have been very different. We would have been eating be our lot saying There's no reason that college football should be played this year. It's too much of a risk, but follow the science, do what the experts say. But in that same regard, when the experts say this isn't true, this isn't that risky. You have to follow facts over fear. Because if you're not, what are you doing? And, and, and that's what frustrates me. And I mean, I guess being on Twitter all the time exacerbates it because I see interactions like that where Jeremy is just trying to get the correct information out to the people and, you know, just keep people informed because not everyone is informed on this. There's a lot of misinformation floating around. And for someone to come out and criticize his his integrity in his doctoral profession that that's personally disgusting to me and i guess i'm all worked up about it but you guys got anything else about let's talk about the nc state game nc state we know from the last episode of the hokey hangover podcast we talked about it they had a COVID outbreak within their student athlete population virginia tech and nc state postpones the opener to week three so virginia tech will open with uva and then play nc state Lo and behold, like a week later, NC State's practicing again with ample time to prepare for Virginia Tech. Why hasn't this game been moved back to the original date?
0: I don't even think it was a week. I don't even think it was a week in between. I think it was just a few days. Um, yeah. So, I, I mean, I'm, I'm completely dumbfounded on it, to be honest. I know there's a conspiracy theory that NC State just wanted a game of film to look at for Virginia Tech. I don't buy that at all. Um, I don't think that that's that's the case at all but i do think that the cancellation was premature and i think that they should have taken a more cautious steady approach and just wait for the data to come out which goes back to the big 10 argument you need to be patient and wait for the facts and wait for the information and if nc state had done that then i think virginia tech would be opening their schedule with the wolf pack but that's not that's not the case um and I guess it is what is it. it is what it is at this point. I'm glad that NC State is still sticking with it and not canceling their football season. Uh, but I do think that they jumped the gun on this.
2: Yeah, I agree. Yeah. And and the other thing I the other thing I want to add too is like I think it's a little bit encouraging. So let me back up a step. So Justin Fuentes said in his press conference yesterday, his weekly press conference with the media, that it's a little bit um, alarming on his end that. You know, coaches throughout the ACC have no idea what's going to take to cancel games. Like, they don't know how many outbreak, like how many players testing positive, and like what outbreak is like large enough to uh, substantiate a cancellation. Like, they just still don't know that information. We're inside two weeks from the opener, so like that's troubling information. But let's flip it for a second. I think the positive news here is like if you guys remember about a month, month and a half ago now, like let's talk like early to mid July. Uh, teams were getting back to practicing and, uh, reporting for camp and, um, they, they were at the very least just getting back to summer workouts. And you guys will remember that North Carolina and Ohio state both had outbreaks, right. And they canceled workouts for the remainder of the week. And that was like on a Wednesday or a Thursday. And then the following Monday, or or at least early in the next week, they were both back practicing and that kind of set the tone for how things would go down after that. Now, granted, the Big Ten did elect to cancel kind of out of the blue, and we've covered that in detail. But like, I think it's encouraging for NC State that they have the outbreak, they then come back and they're able to practice less than a week later, and they're no worse for the wear. Sure, the, the postponement could have been a little bit premature for the Virginia Tech opener, but like if the worst thing that happens is that they take a few days off and then they practice like under a week later and get back to kind of game planning for their first game of the year. Like if that's what we're going to take out of all this and like, that's the worst thing that's going to happen. I think we'd all sign up for that given the environment we're in right now. So I think that bodes well overall for the college football season. Sure. Like the, the postponement was premature, but I think the fact that they were able to get back to practice so quickly is obviously an encouraging sign. And it, also kind of follows the trend. Like teams have had to pause workouts, but then they've gotten back to it and they seem to have gotten things under control. And that's been the case largely across college football, at least for the teams that have elected to continue practicing, preparing for the upcoming football season. So I think kind of looking at it from that side of the coin, I think it's pretty encouraging. It bodes well for college football as long as teams are continue you know continue to be able to um, kind of hone things in and be able to control these outbreaks.
1: Yeah, and I just think it's important for everyone to remember that this is 2020 and that nothing is going to be smooth sailing. There probably will be more cancellations, more postponements, and all the drama that comes with it. But us, as college football fans, as members of the media, as people with a vested interest and a true love for this game, kind of just have to take everything with a grain of salt and take what we can get because people – In these, you know, I have my my quabbles with the presidents in the Big Ten who are unwilling to try. But the conferences like the ACC, the SEC, the PAC, the Big 12, and so on and so forth, who are going for this are working triple overtime to figure out a way to make this work. And these people are making extreme sacrifices. So if a few weeks down the line, a game gets postponed, you kind of just got to take it for what it is. Everyone's trying their hardest right now to make it happen. But Mike, also to your point earlier, when you talk about Justin Fuente and you talk about the anxiety and the uncertainty that comes with coaching and preparing in this current environment and the lack of a uniform standard for what qualifies as a postponable game or what situation would qualify to postpone a game. I think that the conferences and maybe even the NCAA, I guess the NCAA... The conferences are kind of lone Rangers at this point, but there needs to be a uniform standard set so that coaches, athletic directors, players, support staff, kind of have an understanding of the direction that things will move. If things take turn for a worse, even slightly a turn for the worse. But I wanted to ask you guys, um, kind of controversial. You look at some schools in the power five, and they're reporting, we have five athletes and seven staff members who have COVID. You look at other schools, which comprise about 50% of the Power Five, that won't release that information. Some people okay with not releasing the information. Some people have a problem with it. Ricky blue where do you stand on that?
0: I don't think that they should be releasing the names of, of people that have tested positive, but I do think that Putting the, the number of cases out there at least um, would be beneficial. I'm not all that read into this. Um, I have seen a couple sources um, saying that HIPAA and FERPA don't really protect all this, so hiding behind it isn't necessarily uh, kosher for, for for these universities and these athletic departments. I need to do a bit more research into it in order to speak a bit more intelligently on it. But I think ideally reporting that information in the fashion that like Virginia Tech has done, uh, which has been their their COVID-19 dashboard has gone really, really well, I think. Um, And Virginia Tech deserves kudos for that. They're updating that on a consistent basis. They're putting the data out there and they're being open and honest about it. And I think that that's the way that you have to do this. and I think that the athletic department should be doing the same, uh, but I definitely don't think that they should be releasing the names of individuals who test positive.
1: Mike?
2: Yeah, I agree. Um, I'm more apt to figuring out the number of players within the population testing positive, not, like, the individual names. And Ricky's right. Like, there has been... A dispute about kind of what's allowable, what's not under federal regulations and kind of what they can release. And and it's, it's challenging, too, because the regs aren't exactly easy to interpret either. So I get it. Like different schools are just kind of taking a bit of a more cautious approach anyway, like before even considering what their numbers look like, they're taking a more cautious approach just to protect themselves federally. And I totally back that 100%. And I think there's also an element to it of oh some schools like don't have the numbers that are the most ideal in this uh, current environment, and they have a lot more positives than they they think that um, they should for a given time, and that's that's an issue as well. And I get all that, um, but I, I think there needs to be some level of transparency. I think that it's owed to people in the pandemic. Um, but but the other the, the flip side of it too is that I I get it from a red standpoint why schools are being more cautious than others.
1: Yeah. And my opinion on this is simply, I like the transparency. I think the transparency is important. I think the reason that some of these schools aren't being transparent and aren't releasing the exact number of cases within the athletic department is because of the media and online hysteria that comes out every time someone gets a case and says, we can't do this. Right. And we, yeah, saw it. Point. we saw it in Major League Baseball with the Miami Marlins, you know, an outbreak. It happened. People screaming, what a disaster, cancel the season. Here we are a month later, and they're still playing Major League Baseball, more than a month later. It Thank can be God. done. You can push through. Well, my Mets and your Orioles haven't exactly done so high. I might have been better <laughs> But I, I want to pivot here to a question that's really kind of been on my mind since I saw – a tweet from Virginia tech and they released this keep jumping fundraising campaign for athletics. Right. And the premise of which is keep donating. We're financially in dire straits. Please keep supporting us or else we're toast. Now we have talked at length over the course of the last year, since we started doing this podcast about how Virginia tech currently and historically hasn't really been able to keep up with the Joneses in the Power 5 in terms of fundraising, in terms of revenue in terms of this, that, and the other, which has recently had a very negative impact on Virginia Tech's success on the field in recruiting, in football, in, you know across the board. Now, we know we're going to be taking a monumental loss this year. What has to happen for Virginia tech to stay afloat in the athletic department financially during the course of a pandemic that the consequences of which are going to be far reaching and, you know, impact the teams and the entire athletic department for years to come. I
0: mean, they're going to have to keep the, the level of donations up. I don't know how the hell they're going to do it. Um, yeah. there, there's almost certainly going to be a, a large drop-off. Um, and that's, this is the reality at every school. This is not a problem unique to Virginia tech. Um, and this is why it was so important for them to play football this year because they their biggest. Uh, maybe not the, the biggest revenue generating part of the program, but one of the biggest is obviously the media rights that are associated with these games being shown on television and, not having those games being played acts as all of those media rights fees. So all of, all of that money would be just down the toilet and gone. Virginia Tech obviously cannot afford that. And with them not being able to generate revenue through tickets, which um, I've I've heard roughly that Virginia Tech um, generates about two million in, in revenue for each home game. And it kind of fluctuates uh, up, up and below that number. Um not being able to generate that revenue is, is huge, and this is why you're seeing um, people, their higher paid employees take pay cuts and things like that. Um, I honestly don't know how Virginia Tech is going to do this. Uh, I, I don't know how any school is, is making their budget work. Tech is almost certainly gonna have to run in the red this year. I'd be shocked if they're able to, to cut enough costs to run in the black. I think that that's obvious. Um, but the question is how much, how, how low can they get that number in the red? Um, how can they keep it from getting to the point where they're going to be taking on serious debt and they have to take serious, drastic austerity measures when it comes to cutting sports? I hope that that isn't the case in Blacksburg. It would be an absolute shame. Um, but I don't think it would surprise anyone.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with that too. I mean, there's, I don't think there's a good way to answer that question just because I don't think any of us really know. Like, Above nobody knows how this season's going to look. Nobody really knows if we're going to go the full course of the year so that revenue is generated as efficiently as most would expect. I mean, nobody really knows. I mean, everybody's just kind of trying their best. I mean, I, the the one thing that stood out to me last month, what Babcock said in a press conference, that Virginia Tech, you know, had had not instituted uh, pay cuts across the entire athletic department. They had not had any furloughs to date. Um, again, that was that was probably in in late July, early August, but it's clear that they're trying to do everything they can to make sure their people are taken care of which i think at the end of the day is the most important thing anyway but there's no easy there's no easy answers here like for sure and i, I think a lot of it just has to do with whether or not a full season gets played because i think that would go a long way to kind of helping curb those losses a little bit because even though you're not having a lot of fans in the stadium you do get the t- the benefit of the tv revenue which is huge um but at the end of the day i mean Various athletic departments are going to incur losses. It's just the nature of the beast here um, that we're dealing with in, in with college football in in 2020. So, yeah, it's times are tough, right? Um, and athletic departments are going to feel this in different ways. But I don't think there's anything really Virginia Tech can do except hope that the donations keep piling in and hope that there's a football season played to help curb the losses. But outside of that, like a lot of this is largely out of their control, in my opinion.
1: Yeah, man. And, you know, you look at the number that they said in that keep jumping campaign. It's a 50 million dollar revenue loss. And that is hard to keep up. And, you know, getting to be able to get in the black this year would be to completely gut the athletic department, which would be a horrible idea. So I guess the strategy of doing what you can, cutting things where you can trying to create more enthusiasm around fundraising and do things like $70 cardboard cutouts as much as Brett McMurphy makes fun of it the reality is Virginia Tech needs that $70 per cutout that's something that's going to help them try to keep this ship afloat and i think the you know i'm a fan of Brett McMurphy i think that criticism that he went on a couple talking about how Virginia Tech was more expensive than say Texas or or Oklahoma, well, you know what? I think Virginia Tech might need the money a little bit more. I, I think that's kind of why the price is raised there. I'm not an economics major or, a, you know, a budget expert, but that's probably why. But let's turn to the football field here, guys, and we've, you know, we'll talk about some positive news. It's finally happened. Raheem Blackshear cleared on his appeal by the NCAA. He will have immediate eligibility. You look at Blackshear versatile, explosive, dynamic running back that can also play in the slot. A guy who two years ago at Rutgers earned himself an all Big Ten honorable mention at the running back position while playing for a team that didn't win a single game in conference. If that's not impressive, I don't know what is. In your estimation, Mike, how much does this raise Virginia Tech stock offensively?
2: Well, it helps like Virginia Tech's been, I mean, I think if there's one area you look to on the Virginia Tech offense that, you know, at least bears proving out it's explosiveness at receiver and the playmaking positions like Virginia Tech's been a really deep running back room. But the one thing that we heard, you know, coming out of camp and even before that was that Raheem Blackshear was going to be able to be pretty versatile and, and have a kind of utility role where, Sure, he could take on the load and, and carry the ball out of the backfield, but he can also be split out in the slot and, and catch passes and be used in the jet sweep game and uh, be used in a multitude of ways offensively. Um, he was one of the few running backs that you know I think people felt comfortable kind of throwing that around with. And so it, it helps from a, from a versatility standpoint on the offensive side of the football. He was explosive at Rutgers. He should be even more explosive at Virginia Tech, just considering what Virginia Tech's program is compared to Rutgers at this point in time. Um, And I think it'll really help Hendon Hooker out a lot um, at the quarterback position. It's just another guy um, that you can get the ball to who's a playmaker with the ball in his hands. Um, Brad Cornelson and Justin Fuente will try to get Blackshear the ball in space. It's apparent with everything they're saying in these press conferences here uh, throughout fall camp in preparation of the upcoming season, that they think very highly of Blackshear and what he's able to do and how fast he is and how explosive he is. The ball is going to be in his hands, guys. Like Virginia Tech going to be a better offense for it, too, because they're searching for playmakers at receiver. And sure, Blackshear isn't a, a bona fide receiver, but he's a guy who can play a utility role and play in the slot. He's just another guy who you can get the ball to. Um, so, so, yeah, I think it does. It does help a lot. Virginia Tech's offense is better now that he's eligible. Um, it, it's going to be a little bit easier on guys like Hooker. and Hooker. And honestly, it's going to be easier on other running backs, too, right, because they're going to be able to provide some sort of change of pace, to Blackshear or at least a differing skill set. It's just one extra guy to throw at opposing defenses. So I think it, it's a net positive for Virginia Tech through and through. I don't think you can really see it otherwise, in my opinion
1: ricky you look at all the talent in the running back room and with blackshear eligible that's just going to add to it we've seen it time and time again in the fuente era the running back by committee approach do i have any reason to believe that that should change this year no um
0: nobody in the room has set themselves aside in in a virginia tech uniform i mean khalil herbert Probably has the best track record of the group in terms of production, but that was in a different system, in a different part of the country, in a completely different conference. So you can only take that for so much. Keyshawn King showed some talent, uh, but he has some fumbling issues and and things of that nature. Um, I've also, I think. The-
1: I've also heard that- I've also heard that Keshawn King uh, didn't put on much weight during the offseason. That was something that, as a true freshman, a lot of people were worried about comes in at 175. Rumor has it he's still 175. That could be a, a tough scene for him.
0: Yeah, I saw somebody mention that to me today. Um, if that's the case, then yeah, that's going to be a problem. He may not even find himself in the rotation, at least early on. Uh, I am curious to see if Jalen Holston is finally able to break through now that he's healthy. Um, He's a guy that I kind of had my eye on when he first enrolled just because of how physical he was. Um, And I knew that there would be an adjustment period for him given that he was coming from a wing T offense and he was playing wing T fullback. But um, Jalen hasn't really developed and he's battled some injuries. Um, But with him, Herbert, Blackshear, and King in the room, I think that there's definitely enough bodies there that can produce. It's just a matter of them actually producing. We've seen Virginia Tech add a ton of running backs into this room over the last three to four years, but they haven't really found a solution. Uh, Deshaun McLeese was decent last year, and that was really the first time that we can say that a Virginia Tech running back had a decent season in several years. Um, I don't think that Raheem Blackshear is going to spend a lot of time in the backfield. I do think we're going to see him kind of all over the place. I hope that's the case. I think that that's the only way to really maximize his value. Um, It will be a shame if Blackshear's primary usage or really only usage is the jet sweep. I think we we would all be pretty pissed off if that's the only way that he's being used. Um, Brad Cornelson needs to find ways to get him the ball. He is extremely explosive, extremely productive. Uh, I sent out a tweet. If you go back and look at his 2018 season, which was his last full year, two of his best games were against Wisconsin and and, 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 uh, Penn State. Um, He scored three touchdowns in those two games. He had well over 300 yards from scrimmage in those two games. Um, He is someone who can produce. He is someone who can make plays. You have to find a way to get in the ball. And then with Khalil Herbert, I think who probably needs to serve as the primary running back going into the season, I think that Virginia Tech has enough weapons on offense around Hendon Hooker to be at least somewhat productive and and to keep up the pace and, and, and be close to last year's offense, if not better.
1: Yeah, and with over 80 career receptions, though, I look at Blackshear and I look at Virginia Tech in that slot position. We saw Tavion Robinson as a true freshman be pretty productive, but beyond that, the depth in that slot is is not great. And I think that Raheem Blackshear could fit very well into that role. He could either spell off Robinson or, you know, work, in a rotation, maybe even work his way into that number one spot. We just don't know. And I think the same applies to special teams as well. Last thing I got for you fellas today, Nasir Peoples unfortunately suffers a non-contact football injury, not someone that people expected to be a starter, but was valuable depth in that DB room. Uh, what are your thoughts on this?
0: It's a shame. Um, it, it, it sucks because – I think Nasir, if he sticks with it in Blacksburg, has a chance to assume a role later in his career because um, he was really a, a developmental prospect from the start. Uh, but anytime you lose basically a full season, it, it really does hurt your chances. Um, I'll, all I'll say is that I hope he sticks around for or sticks around for next year.
2: Yeah, I agree. It, it hurts, Steph, and it would be nice to have him and, yeah, as Ricky mentioned, like he was kind of a raw prospect, so he was going to be developed now from the start. And um, yeah, anytime you lose a, a season like that of potential development, it hurts. Um, but they're
0: probably going to miss him on I'm, special teams the most, for sure.
2: And, and I'm just hoping you know whatever that injury is or whatever he's trying to overcome, he's able to do it swiftly and in a manner in which that you know he can put himself on the fast pra- fast track to contributing in the future.
1: Indeed. Indeed. Couldn't agree with more with you guys. All right, folks. Well, that's going to do it for us here on the Hokie Hangover podcast. College football, my friends, is back in 22 minutes from the time that this recording is being done. Central Arkansas will take on UAB, which will officially kick off the FBS season in 2020. We thought it couldn't happen. Things are looking good. I am Andrew Alex. Mike and Ricky, you got anything to say to the people?
0: um enjoy your labor day don't be stupid there's still a damn virus going around i don't care what your thoughts on it are don't be dumb don't don't go out there and getting your family sick so have fun enjoy it well, we all need to ha- have some fun and let loose a little bit but please for the love of god don't be stupid uh don't drink and drive don't put yourself in crowded places listen to the Hokie hangover podcast when you can um, go read my stuff, go follow Mike's stuff at Sons of Saturday, listen to ESPN Blacksburg. We, we need you to stick around, okay? So don't be stupid this weekend. Couldn't agree uh, more I'm
2: behind all that, Rick. <laughs>
1: there you go, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And last thing I want to say you know, we want college football to happen, we get in disputes with people that are not following the facts and not following the information cannot stress this enough that does not mean we are covid deniers covid is real and like ricky said don't do anything stupid stay out of crowded places i think we're closer to the finish line than we are to the starting line at that this point and we just need to push through i hate seeing the commercials where they say like we're all in this together but in reality it's kind of true well that's going to do it for us i am andrew alex for mike mcdaniel ricky LaBlue. blue we thank you for listening to the one the only the hokey hangover podcast if you like what you're listening to hit that subscribe button leave us a review and tell your friends we assume that you have other friends that are fans of virginia tech You probably went here if you didn't go here and you're a fan you're probably from virginia and know other people that went to virginia tech tell them about the podcast please word of mouth it's a beautiful thing for us follow us on twitter at hokey hangover follow mike at mike mcdaniel vt Follow Ricky at Ricky LeBleu. Follow me at Andrew Alex Radio. We're going to start revving this thing back up again. I'll tell you guys that much. Football season is about to get underway for the Hokies, and we are going to start bringing you as much content as our schedules will allow us to. We're excited for it. We hope you're excited for it. So hang in there, and we'll talk to you soon. Thanks for listening, and go Hokies.